Now, I'm, this morning, I'm going to continue our series on uh, our missions month. And, and today, I'll talk to you about what it means to own our community. And it's such an important concept that I want to bring to you. So I'm going to invite you now to bow your hearts wherever you are with me. And then we're going to pray and I'm going to trust God to come and speak to all of us. And I assure you that this is something for every one of us. Okay, so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for everyone that is either watching us or physically here with us. We just pray that, Lord, we, are, we know that we are here not by chance, but it is by your divine appointment. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you anoint your servants so that I may deliver a word that is in season. I pray that you give me a prophetic unction so that I may speak words that are relevant to the people that are, that are listening in today. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit will speak to us personally and corporately as a church as we prepare ourselves for this next season. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin this morning by telling you a story, uh, my personal story. Uh, my story, for, with regards to this subject, uh, begins at the end of 1995. Uh, it was a period in my ministry life when I was going through a, a time of stagnation. And at that point, I was serving in a Methodist church uh, back in Singapore. The church I was serving in for about um, four years, by that time, it grew. We knocked down every wall that we can find in the building, and we, and we just enlarged the, build, uh, the, the gathering place as much as we can. And then I became complacent. I settled down. And it was then that I discovered a very important lesson in ministry, which goes like this. When you lose a sense of heavenly vision, you will naturally gravitate to the earth. When you lose a sense of heavenly vision, you will naturally gravitate to the earth. And so in my last year in that, at that church, I, I lost passion, I lost vision, and I gravitated you know, to, the th to, to, to the earth and the things of this earth. And in that one year, I remember, it was a time when Singapore was going through an economic upturn and everybody was doing well financially. And in that one year, I was doing well too financially and I upgraded everything that I have. Uh, my condo, my car, my computer, my credit cards, my country club, you know, all the C's in my life were upgraded. I always tell people the only C I didn't upgrade in that season was my wife, Cecilia. Apart from that, I upgraded everything, you know. <laughs> Financially, I was prospering, but spiritually, I was dying inside. But I discovered that actually you can get away with it for a while. All I needed to do was to make sure that I preach a homiletically correct three-point sermon and I punctuate it at strategic points with humor, with a poignant illustration here and there, and then no one would notice. You know, they would think it's a great message, but no one would notice what is going on inside of me. And I... Every Sunday at the end of the message, I will stand at the entrance like I always do and I'll shake the people's hand as they move out and then they'll all say to me, good message, pastor, good word, pastor. You know? And they will tell me things like this. And I tell you, I went through that for a little while. Got away with it. Only God and the spiritually discerning people in the congregation could begin to pick up that something was wrong. Everything still sounds the same. The messages are still coming, the word is still interesting, but they knew something was dead inside. And by the end of that year, I was a lean, mean machine, but I knew that I needed a fresh breakthrough. 
And by the end of that year, I was driven back to the altar of God, crying out to God, you know, for a fresh touch. And I knew that if something don't change, my ministry will die. And that was when the call came for me uh, to actually plant a new church. Um, the Lord spoke to me, and this was going to be a community-reaching church. And God was speaking to me about reaching our community. And Peter Wagner at that time wrote a book. And in this book, he's made this statement. He said, revival will happen when the walls between the church and the community are torn down. Revival will happen when the wall between the church and the community is torn down. And I think this can only happen when we switch our paradigm from a come to our church model to a go to the community model. Something has to change. So instead of waiting for the community to, to walk into our church, we must intentionally go into our community. Just like God did not wait for men to come to Him, but He first reached out to men. We love only because He first loved us. Isn't that right? And one major change was a paradigm shift that I took towards this whole concept of making what we call a territorial commitment. And I'd like you to listen to my heart this morning as I share with you this concept of territorial commitment. So you may ask, what is territorial commitment? I'll give you a working definition. Here's how I see territorial commitment. A territorial commitment is when a church begins to take personal responsibility for the spiritual well-being of a land or a community and its inhabitants. Can I, can I say it one more time for you? A territorial commitment is when the church begins to take personal responsibility for the spiritual well-being of a land or a community and its inhabitants. And I think we, that, and, and I, I want to unpack scripturally how I come to, this, come to this concept. Now, being such a diverse congregation with different uh, age group and, and different nationalities among us, one of the first things we need to do practically is to define who is our community. You know, where is our territorial commitment? Now, I'd like to suggest some for you, just for our thinking, right? For university students among us, the Vibe Ministry among us, I think your territorial commitment could be the universities that God has planted you in. All of us are in different seasons of life, and we are, God plants us in different places, in different seasons of life, right? And for university students, their territorial commitment could be the universities that they are in. Now, for the high schoolers, it could be the high school that they belong to. For the families, it could be the neighborhood that God has planted you in. Right? God has chosen to put you in that neighborhood. And you could, you could take a territorial commitment of that, of, that, of that area and begin to say, I take personal responsibility for the spiritual well-being of the people living around me. For those who spend most of their time in the workplaces, I think the workplace, the marketplace can become our territory. For all of us who belong to FCC, you, you consider this church your home church, then our territory corporately must be where the Lord has planted us. And this is the Williton area, the Canning Vale area. And for our connect groups, it could be the street that is, your, your connect group is meeting, right? But... And, and your, your, your territorial commitment is tied up to the season of life that you're in and the place where God has chosen to plant you. Does that make sense? And, and, and let, let me now 
uh, unpack that biblically. And where, where did I come up with this concept? First, let us kind of, kind of try and understand the concept biblically. When you study the Old Testament, I found that there is a covenantal connection between three things, God, people, and land. There seems to be a covenantal connection between God, people, and land. You see, when God's people is faithful towards God, God will bless the land. Okay, and, and, and when, the, when the land is blessed, the people are blessed. See, but when God's people sin against God, then the land comes under a curse. Rain is withheld and, and things like that. Okay, and then the whole thing just turned topsy-turvy. Okay, and there's a, there's a connection between God, people, and land. There's this trigonometry of God, people, and land. God is concerned about land and territory. He frequently sees people in terms of territory. Where do they come from? Where are they going? Okay, let me give you some examples. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We all know this verse very well. If my people, there's a people element, are, who are called by my name, that's God, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. See the connection between God, people, and land. First Kings chapter 8, verse 35 to 36. Listen to this one. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name, that's God, and turn from their sins because you afflict them, then hear from heaven, forgive the sins of your, your servants, your people, Israel, that you, and that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and give rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Again, you see this trigonometry of God, people, and land. Our God is a territorial God. He places different people in different places for different purposes over different seasons of time. Are you with me? See, and God sees all this. Now, and this is where I, I want to uh, outline three concepts for you that I saw biblically. The first is this. There's a concept of appointment. Everybody say appointment. There's a concept of appointment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, listen to what uh, Paul wrote here. Uh, uh, the writer of Acts wrote here. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. How many of you know that God already has your time set for you? Your time is in God's hand. Nothing you and I can do can add another day to your life. God already knows your time, okay? And he not only set the time for you, but the exact places where you should live. So listen, brothers and sisters, where you live, where you work, where you worship has been determined by God himself. So we do not simply move from one place to another based on property prices, but it's based on the will of God. Are you with me? It's not just about searching for a better lifestyle so you move from here to go to Japan. It is not about that. At the end of the day, it is God who determines where you should end up. It's God who determines how long you should live. You see, and this is not only true in terms of where we live, but also in terms of where we minister. See, and it's the concept of appointment. It is God who appoints us 
He determines the time set for us and the exact places where we should live. Number one, is there's an appointment of God. So you are here, not by chance. You are here by divine appointment. Somebody say amen. You know, you are here because of the appointment of God. Here's number two. Then there's a concept of assignment. It's a concept of appointment. There's a concept of assignment. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 to 16, where the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he was actually defending his apostleship. Okay? In 2 Corinthians, what happened was some people began to question Paul's leadership and, and, and apostleship, and he was defending it. And then he was speaking to the Corinthians, and he had this to say. And I, I love this passage in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. Listen carefully to this. We, however, he said, will not boast beyond proper limits. Now, this word limit here uh, in the Greek is emitros, which actually means measure. Okay, it, it, it gives you the idea of a measuring line. It is it's God who, who put the limits, okay? And, and He's the one who determines uh, our sphere, okay? I will not want to boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to, to the few. And this was an interesting word. I confine my boasting to the few. This word few in, in the Greek is kanon. It actually gives the picture of someone who put a pack on the ground and then put a string and tie tie the string to the pack, you with me? And then he draws a circle around it. So what does it become? It becomes a sphere. It becomes a field, a territory, if you like, a sphere of influence. Okay, it is God who gives you and I our sphere of influence. And God has assigned to us a field, a, a sphere of influence that reaches even to you. So Paul is telling the, the church in Corinth that God is the one who gives me my sphere of influence. God is the one who draws the lines of my ministry. And my ministry includes you. You are part of that field that I, I work in. And he goes on to say, we are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. But our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about works already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What a beautiful picture. What is Paul saying? He's saying that God has given me a territory, a sphere. Okay? And within this sphere, I must work. And if I finish this work here, then I want to be able to go beyond. Okay? Regions beyond. And here Paul talks about how we are placed strategically Listen, within a city, a community, our territory, for the purposes of God, within this assigned territory. And, and listen, within this assigned territory that God has given to us, we will rule and reign with Christ, with kingly anointing. Within the field that God has assigned to you, God will allow you to rule and reign with Him. We will make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. We will find the favor of the Lord and we will get every resource we need to fulfill our assignment. Are you with me? And Paul says, that's the territory he has given. And Paul talks about not boasting beyond the proper limits. And that word limits refers to that sphere of influence. And he speaks of a field that's given to him to preach the gospel within. 
and it is not another man's field. And that field assigned to him is his priority. That's where his territorial commitment is. And within this field, he will win and develop the inhabitants. And it is only when he had finished working this field, he would expand into the regions beyond. Can you see the picture here? See, and all of us have been assigned a field, a territory, a sphere of influence, whether through our friendship or through our relationship, through where we are in this season of our life. Okay, and all of us have been assigned that sphere of influence. And within our specific territory, we will rule and reign with Christ. There's a principle of appointment where God has appointed you for this season. There's a principle of assignment within that appointment, within that territory, God has given you your, your assignment. Okay, but here comes the third one. There's a concept of adoption. Okay, there's an appointment that comes from God, an assignment that's given to you, but now comes the concept of adoption, which means you have to adopt it. You got to embrace it. Okay, and Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7. Let me read this passage uh, for you. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to, all, to those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What do you do? Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because when it, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Next week, I'll talk to you a little bit more about this passage, but enough for today. Let me, share, let me just quickly say this. This great promise in Jeremiah 29 is written in a letter by the prophet Jeremiah to the Israelites, okay, who are taken captive to a city of Babylon because of their disobedience, and they were under captivity in Babylon. And there in that foreign land, the Israelites cry out to God in despair, they were grieving for their homeland. They lost hope. They were depressed. And then the word of the Lord came to them in the midst of all this. Okay, and bear in mind that Jeremiah 29 is an urban promise. This promise is given to residents who used to come from Jerusalem, but now they are in captivity in Babylon. Okay, and the prophet declared in Jeremiah 29, 7, he said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Which city is this? Which city? It's Babylon. It's not Jer Jerusalem. It's Babylon. Okay, seek the welfare or the prosperity of, of Babylon in which, to which I have carried you into exile. Who have carried them to Babylon? It was God. God was the one who put them there. And let me suggest to you that this is true not just for the Israelites. It's true for all of us. Why are you in Perth today? Hello. <laughs> Why are you in Perth today? You are in this city because God has called you here. It's by divine appointment. You are not here by default. You are here by design, God's design. Whether you are here for a season or whether you are here for a long haul, if you are an international student, you see yourself as being here for a season. That's fine. But it is still by divine appointment. 
You, some of us here may feel that I'm just here for a little while, so why should I care for this city? Or why, why should I bother, you know, with the people of this land when I'm only here for a while? Sim- I'll tell you why. Simply because when you do so, you will be blessed too. Because when the city that you, you are in right now prosper, you will prosper also. As Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And the prophet also said in Jeremiah 12, verse 11, listen to this, It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Hear me. Just as it is true physically, it is also true spiritually. If you got a garden and you don't care about it, guess what? It will become desolate. In the same way, if we do not care for the city that God has planted us in, and in the local church in that city do not rise up and take territorial responsibility for the city, that city will be spiritually wasted. It will become desolate. And unless and until the church rises in the community and take the responsibility to heart, adopt it as its own, take responsibility for its spiritual well-being, it can become desolate also. Are you with me? So, Kinetic, if you don't take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of your high school, it can become desolate. And UWA students, if you don't take spiritual responsibility for the well-being of that university, it will become a desolate land. It's the same everywhere. But once we do, once we recognize that God has put us there for a purpose, then we find everything we need to finish the task, be it favor, finance, manpower, facility, anointing, whatever we need. And when every local church rises to take their community, the whole city can be taken. God has planted local churches everywhere. And once we make the territorial commitment to our community, the host, uh, we release a spiritual dynamic, I think, that will strike fear in the hearts of the enemy and bring about new breakthroughs of harvest in our community. Are you with me? I think that if we capture this, something can happen in the spiritual realm. When we take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of wherever God has planted us in, the land will not be desolate, but it will begin to come to health. Now, what does it entail? Okay, here's where I take take the concept and put it into practical terms for you. Uh, Making a territorial commitment, please understand me, brothers and sisters, it's not it's more than just making a declaration. It's more than just stand up here and say, okay, we declare that we will take responsibility for, for our university, for our high school. It's more than a declaration. It comes with commitment and action. So what are some of these actions? I want to outline four specific actions for you very quickly. And the first is this. What it means is this. When we make a territorial commitment to uh, wherever you sense God is making your territory, then number one, you are saying basically, we will pastor that community. 
number one. We pastor that community. And here, I use the term pastor not as a position, but as a function. It's shepherding, pastoring a community. When our church begins to know our community, own our community, a paradigm shift will take place. The wall between the church and the community will come down and our community then becomes our flock. It's like what John Wesley, the great founder of the Methodist Church used to say, the world is my parish and not the other way around. The parish is my world. You know, this parish that I have here cannot be my world. The world is our parish. You see, and everything revolves not just around the people that are within this church, but it's beyond the world is our parish. And that's why if someone asks you today, uh, hey, uh, how big is your church? You know what your answer should be? If you really make a territorial commitment, your answer should be 50,000 strong. <laughs> how big is your church? 50,000 strong. You know why? Because that's the population of Willerton and Kenningville. <laughs> and if you really pastor the community, then that's how big your church is. Only 1,500 found in our flock every Sunday. The rest are still lost out there, okay? And we are, our job is to go out and find this lost sheep. And they are still our sheep, but they are lost. You see, so we got to bring them in. Are, are you with me? So you measure the growth of the church not by the number of people that are seated in our pews, but it's measured by the number of new believers from our adopted communities, be it our universities, our high schools, wherever it is. This is what it means to make a territorial commitment and take territorial responsibility for the community that God has placed us in. Number one, it means we will pastor that community. Here's number two. Uh, this is a big word, but never mind. Police the community. Okay, well, some of you already got worries because, um, you know, that, what do you mean by police the community? Basically, I'm not asking you to become policemen. What I'm saying to you is this. When we make a territorial commitment, we are deputized by the Holy Spirit to be a spiritual policeman, to enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven for your community. Remember last week, we talked about the keys of David the delegated authority that we have from the Lord. For what? Is to, is to arrest anything that is not in the will of God. So when you walk around your community, be it your high school, your marketplace, your workplace, you, you see things that are not of God, then in prayer, we can arrest them in Jesus' name. Use the delegated authority, the keys of the kingdom given to you. Imagine if every connect group were to own the different streets in our community. If our connect group will take responsibility to pray through every street in our community, serve the household in that community, uh, something can happen, you see? And, and the dreams to see connect group planted in every street in this city, whether it's a connect group from FCC or otherwise, because the truth is this, as a singular church, we can never do this. We can never do this, and that's why we need to join hands with other like-minded churches to bless our community and to serve our community. And that's why we say prayer walking is a wonderful way of, of starting this whole process because when you pray on-site with inside, you pray around your school, you pray around your university, your eyes begin to open to see stuff that is happening. And then it begins to, it builds something inside of you. You begin to have, develop a compassion for what is going on around you. So instead of coming up with programs that we want to do, we begin to develop programs based on the needs of the people. And I think that'll be a wonderful way to begin. We pastor our community. To make a territorial commitment means we pastor our community. It means we police our community spiritually. And here's the third one. 
then we can begin to know our community. We begin to profile the community that we are in. Okay, again, I, I know the word profile at the moment is a sensitive word. Uh, now with people uh, on the internet talking about racial profiling and social profiling and all of that. But let me explain, okay? I coined these terms 20 years ago. Okay, I wrote these things down in my journal 20 years ago and preached on it 20 years ago. So I'm not talking about what's happening now. I'm talking about uh, my understanding of when I use this phrase, the profile of the community means this. We, we need to get to know the community that God has given to us. You've got to get to know the community. Because if we don't know the community, then how do we even pray for the community? So you've got to know the community, and along, then we are able to connect with them meaningfully. Then we know what their felt needs are. You can only love someone after you know the person. How many of you agree? How do you love a person if you don't know the person? So you, you, that's what I mean. Know the community, profile the community, get to know what's going on in the community. Okay, and when we do, then we begin to be able to love them in meaningful ways. See, that, that's why we, we caught, you know, by the way. Uh, you, 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 you caught another person. What are you doing? You're trying to get to know the person. You date the person. You caught the person. You're trying to know the person. So what are you doing? You're profiling the person. Trying to get to know them. Then you're able to love them properly. See? And, and getting to know the community, surveying the community, getting to know them is critical. Very, very important. Uh, let me share with you my experience in this one. Uh, because if you don't know them, you cannot serve them. If you cannot serve them, you cannot love them. See? And so what happened was, when I first arrived here in Perth, uh, I was with the church. Uh, and uh, as a church, we were beginning to want to reach out to the community in, uh, around the, our, our area. And we started by starting where our church is at that time. And I was with a church that was located in Bentley. So we begin to prayer walk uh, Bentley area. And it was then that our attention was drawn to a housing block uh, in Bentley called Brownlee Towers. Uh, some of you were with me in that church before. Uh, now you're here in FCC. You, you can remember that. And we begin to focus in on that, um, that adopted community. So we started prayer walking the corridors. Um, we, we realized that there was these two blocks of flats in, uh, in, in the Bentley area called Brownlee Towers. And we... we prayer walk the corridors. It's a high-rise, low-cost development. And then we discovered a very interesting world that I've never seen before. I discovered the residents there were mostly low-income immigrants and indigenous people. Uh, many of them uh, could hardly make ends meet month to month. So they all end up with multiple jobs, you know, resulting in latchkey kids and a lot of delinquent uh, teenagers all over. And our church at that time was so middle-class. We were not part of that or part of that world. And the fact is that, you know, when you first come to Christ, all of us, when we come to Christ, and because of our relationship with Jesus, we all experience a social lift, you know. And once you experience a social lift, our tendency is to stick around the people in that society, in, in, in that level, the strata of society. And then we forget where we come from. You understand what I'm saying? And our world now revolves around here. And then we forget the people, and we forget where we came from. There was such a disconnect, but through the prayer walking, through getting to know the community, our eyes were open. And that fuels our intercession. You know, and that fuels our programs, the things we do to try and meet the needs, the felt needs in the community. And it became fewer for prayer and the basis for us to meet felt needs in our community. 
Now, the contact made, uh, prepared the way for us to build relationship with the people in that community. The end result of that was that we ended up planting a church in, in, in Brownlee Towers, started a community centre in that place, and I think they have ongoing ministry right up to today. Now, I'm not saying that we need to do the same thing in, in HSC because God calls different churches to do different things. But what I want to give you is an example, an insight into what surveying the community, profiling the community can help us to do. So we pastor the community, okay? We police the community so that we can pray for them and arrest anything that is not of the Lord. We profile and get to know the community so that in the end, we can penetrate the community. We can get into the community and really minister to people where their needs are. And that's where we can begin to really serve the community with no strings attached. You know, we have been, as a church, trying so many different ways in which we can touch base with the lost. Faith Community Services, our own um, community service arm, has started many things like dancing classes, exercise classes, cooking classes, tuition, and all that. We have done all that over the years, but I think we can do more. What do you think? What do you think? I think we can do more. See, and this time, don't just let FCS do everything for us, but I think we need to own it together. You see, so I'm challenging you, Kinetics. I think let us own our high schools. Let's prayer walk our high schools. Police the school. Use your delegated authority and forbid the drugs and the sex and the bullying that goes on. You reach out to the kids in the schools and let them know there's a happening youth group that they can belong to right here. You let them know. I think you can own the high schools. Uh, vibe, you know, you can make a territorial commitment to our universities and let us find ways in which we can serve the students that are there. Let us innovate and come up with fresh ways to connect with them and reach out to them. And let every university become a, for, uh, a harvest field for the gospel. Somebody say amen to that. You know, I think we can. Impact, you know, why don't we just intentionally, young adults, uh, young working adults, intentionally reach out in our workplaces. Our workplace is not just a means to get a paycheck, but I think it's a territory that God has given to you to own, to sow, and to reap. So we can own the marketplaces. Adult ministry, I want you to know that God has given us so many connect groups, not just for us to have great times of connection with one another, but also to become an intentional disciple-making unit that is missional as well. It is so that every street where God has planted us can be taken care of. It can be profiled and policed and pastored and penetrated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. City campus, those of you who are a platform, that is a territory God has given to you. Let's take our city for God. Somebody say, Amen. And once we take territorial commitment, we are no longer tenants or tourists, but we have become owners with territorial rights over the land. And we can step into that, those territories with kingly anointing of the Lord. Then and only then can we rule over the spiritual atmosphere and we can make spiritual decrees in that land. And we are going to find a new level of favour, focus and fruitfulness in our outreach, in, in, our, in our work. Amen. And I want, let me end this morning with this in the last few minutes that I have. I want to end this morning by, just by sharing with you um, my own journey when it comes to making a territorial commitment to this city that God has taken us and my family into over the last 20 years. 
I'll tell you how it was like at the beginning. Uh, my family and I left Singapore to come to Perth on the first day of the year 2000. I'll never forget that day. You know, Y2K, you know. People are so afraid to fly, but we said, never mind, we fly because the tickets were cheaper then. You know. <laughs> so we left uh, Singapore to come here uh, on the first day of year 2000. And at that point, I've just handed over a Methodist church that I planted two and a half years prior to that. It was a church that we love, a church that we birthed, we love, and we cared for deeply. And it literally felt like leaving a family behind. It was really, really difficult uh, to do that. I remember that day, it was about, it was quite close to midnight already. I remember walking into the airport that day, the airport departure lounge, and about almost 200 of our church members were there waiting for us, you know, in the departure hall. And so when we pushed our luggage in, we were shocked, you know, because what they did was they, blew, they took a picture of me eating durian and they blew it up on A4 paper, you know, all in colored, you know. And then they put a stick behind every piece of A4 paper. Everyone had one piece. <laughs> they were carrying this. And I remember walking into the, the, the airport and all 200 started waving and shouting, hey! and all that. I, it will cause such a ruckus, you know. And, and it, was, it was shocking and they were waving and shouting as we walked in and then the airport police came, you know, just to make sure that this is not a riot. And there was one passerby who walked by and saw what happened and this passerby, I, I kid you not, he stopped me and then he said, he asked me, you know, who are you? <laughs> and then he said, maybe you should not go. No, you can be a politician. <laughs> and we had such a hard time saying goodbye. Uh, we were crying. Our children were crying. Uh, the, the members were crying. We were all hugging, crying until it was really time to go. And when we got into the plane, I knew in my heart that I needed to do something to bring a close to this chapter uh, in my life. Or else, I think we will never be able to settle into Perth because the soul tie that I had back to, Sing back to the Singapore and back to the church then was too strong. So I turned to my family when we were in the plane and this is what I said to them. I said, I like every one of you. I gave them each a small little piece of paper and I said, I like every one of you to think of a verse from the Bible that you can claim for the city of Perth. And I want you to write it there. My kids were all very young then. I think my son was only about nine or 10 years old, you know, and the rest were like uh, uh, eight years old. I uh, don't know, one, one was I think uh, uh, 10. They always refer to the wife when it comes to such things. Uh, it was 10 years old, an eight year old, and then a four year old, you know. So they're all very young, but they, they all took a piece of paper and they were writing whatever they can think of, uh, a verse that we can claim. And so when we landed in Perth, it was already past midnight and all that. When we arrived, then the, we discovered the church here uh, actually forgot that we were arriving that day uh, because it got their dates mixed up, you know. And so when we walked out of the airport, there was nobody there to receive us. You know, my, my friend who was supposed to come and fetch us, he was also late, you know. So when we walked out, there was nobody there. So you can imagine the contrast. Huh? When we left, there were 200 people waving, you know, shouting, screaming. And then when we arrived, nobody was there. From hero to zero, you understand? <laughs> it was exactly like that. But I think that God actually used this situation to remind us it does not matter what you, where you came from or what you did in the past. When you arrive in this new land, you start all over again. 
you put behind and you start all over again. But that also gave us an opportunity as a family to step out of the airport, find our first piece of Aussie soil, which happened to be the car park, uh, you know, the airport car park. And we found a piece of Aussie soil, we dug a hole, we buried the verses inside, and then we raised an altar to God, we worship, and then we pray, and we make this territorial commitment to this land. Never forget the prayer we prayed. We stood there, past midnight, dug a hole, put the verses inside, raised an altar of worship to God, and I prayed this simple prayer, this land is mine. Satan, you get out. This land is mine. Satan, you get out. And at that moment, when we make that territorial commitment to this land, we are no longer tenants, we are no longer tourists, but we are owners and residents of this land. And we have territorial rights over this place. And never forget what it did for me. I know that I know, even though I'm not born here, I have delegated authority from God to police this city, profile this city, pastor this city, and preach to this city in Jesus' name. And I'm here to seek the welfare of this city. And I say amen to that. And I mean this. And I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging all of us. Some of us here are immigrants. Some of you here are international students and you may be here for a while. Some of you are just retiring here. It doesn't matter. And I'll tell you more about that next week. But I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging us. Make a territory commitment to this place because God has planted us in this season of our life. Those of you who in your high schools, your universities, your campuses, your workplaces, your neighborhood, if you are a member in FCC, make a fresh commitment to this congregation. As a connect group, we make a territorial commitment to the street that God has planted us in. You know, corporately as a church, we make a territorial commitment to Willerton and Canningville, and together we can pastor this community. We can get to know this community. We can pray for this community, and we can serve this community. I say to you, brothers and sisters, this land is ours. Let's rise and take it together. Amen. Let's rise and take it together. And I think we can do that. And once you do that, there's a new authority that will come. And we can take this land for Jesus. Let the gospel go forth. Amen. Would you rise with me, please, this morning? Would you stand together wherever you are, whether you're watching online, over in platform, would you just stand? And we're going to sing this song together as a song of commitment. And I'm going to invite you if you never really felt that you have set it in and owned this thing, owned this land, I think it's time we make that commitment. As long as God put us here, we will seek the welfare of this city. We'll seek the welfare of the community. We'll seek the welfare of wherever God has planted us. Amen. So let's sing this together. And in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I offer my life to you. Yes, Lord. Everything my life been through. Use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my life to you. 
this morning wherever you are whether a platform right here or you're watching online I believe that the Lord is challenging all of us this morning to make a fresh territorial commitment to this city that God has brought you here and if you are here whether as a student whether as a long-term resident as long as God put you here we can seek the welfare of the city that God has put us in and when this city prosper, so will we. You know, when if someone takes spiritual responsibility for the spiritual well-being of this land, this land will not be desolate, but it will begin to flourish. And wherever God has planted us, if we were to make a commitment to it and say, God, help me to pastor this place. You know, whether it's my workplace, whether it's my campus, whether it's my school, whether it's my neighborhood, you say, God, help me to pastor this place. Help me to know this place. Pray for this place. And help me to really serve these people. And then let the gospel go forth. The land will begin to flourish. This is the principle of appointment, of assignment, and of adoption. And this morning, my challenge to you is that we will not only understand our appointment and our assignment, but we will adopt it. And you say, God, yes, use me. Use me to be a pastor over these people, to get to know these people, pray for them, and begin to share the gospel with them. So as every head bow, every eyes closed, this morning, if the Lord has spoken to you, and you know He's calling you to this, I'm going to invite you, wherever you are, would you just lift both hands to God as a sign of surrender, so that allow me to pray for you. Okay, that's right. If God, you know God is speaking to you, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your, you know, your campus, your university, your school, you know the Lord is just speaking to your heart. 
then would you just lift both hands to the Lord as a that mark of saying, God, I adopt. I'm willing to adopt the assignment you've given to me. And then you allow me to pray that the Lord will just enable you. He give you that anointing to be able to use your delegated authority and begin to reach the people that God surrounds you with. That's your sphere of influence. That's right. So that's, that's right. Wherever you are, just do that. Thank you. Thank you. See all your hands. That's right. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to give you a minute just to talk to the Lord on your own. Just talk to Him. Wherever you are, just talk to Him. Say, God, enable me. Open my eyes to see. That's right. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see the hands are lifted before you. All across our different venues and those who are watching online, Lord, you see our hands lifted before you. I pray that, Lord, you will direct us, you lead us. Lord, I pray that you bring us revelation so that we understand what it means to, to, to be appointed. We know that we are here by divine appointment. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us an assignment, a field, a territory, a sphere of influence wherever you planted us in this season of our life. Then, Lord, today, help us to adopt it. Help us to embrace it. And help us, Lord, to walk into it so that we can, you can use us to really pastor the people around us, to get to know them and to get to pray for them. And God, get, help us to be, open our eyes to see where their felt needs are so that we can begin to serve the people around us. We serve them until they are ready to hear the wonderful gospel that you entrusted us with. And may this gospel bring them into your kingdom. Lord, you see the hands lifted before you. I pray for a special anointing to come upon them. As they make this commitment before you, would you anoint them with an anointing to rule and reign with you in that territory. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord. And we embrace that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.